We've been, uh, if you've not been with us, you know that we've been um, working our way through a, a series around prayer, that sharing our everyday life with God and prayer being a central feature about that. As a church, some time ago, we talked about the, the values that we wanted to be true of us as a church. We talked about ourselves being a, a growing community of whole life disciples, and what we meant by that was that the gospel affects every area of our life. And actually, the, the, the primary arena for where that's lived out is wherever you find yourself day by day. But that as a group of people together, we would want to be alert to God's leading, alert to the Holy Spirit, alert to what God might be wanting to say to us and do with us and through us. That we wanted to be attentive to one another and to the moment that we're in, and we wanted to be good news for the people around us. We wanted to be alert, we wanted to be attentive, and we wanted to be good news. And we spent the first month talking about being, how do, what does it mean to be alert to God, and how do, you, how do you learn how to recognize when God is speaking to you? And um, said lots of things, but one of the very simple things is that that doesn't happen just by coming on a Sunday or even just by getting involved in church activity. Actually being able to tune in to the way God would want to speak to you needs you to spend time with him. <laughs> it's not that God doesn't want to speak to you, it's actually that often we're just too busy and tuning in to the way God speaks to you so you can become alert. We did that for a month and then we moved to this idea of what does it mean to be attentive to one another and began that Last week, and one of the things I said last week is that prayer is priestly work, and you are the priest. And that's, I don't even remember the picture, but that idea of a picture of, uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a bird, isn't it? Well, that's really helpful. Um, and um, I'm, glad I've, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're all clearer now. Um, but um, you're a bitten. Don't go into any more detail. Please. <laughs> the look of a desperate man. Please don't go into any more detail. But the idea being that a priest, what I was suggesting last week, is a priest is someone who stands between two groups. A bridge. And the priest looked towards God but was very involved with people and carries the burden of others. And you and I... Both of us are priests. One of the things I'll say later, but I'll say it now and I'll say it again later, is there is a, an insidious, a very uh, real, underlying, deeply um, held belief by some people that God ranks people according to what they do. <laughs> and for some people, it's kind of like, well, if you're a minister, pastor, reverend, then somehow God hears you better. If only that were true. <laughs> Simply not true. The whole idea of the New Testament is that we together are priests. I'll come back to that. So what we want to do this morning is just think about this idea of being attentive to one another in the moment we're in. If you belong to church and you use Facebook, 
Um, one of the things that we do as a church is we have a space within that Facebook um, context, where, which is called Beyond Sunday, and many of you are aware of that. And Beyond Sunday is a place, it's a closed group, only people who are part of our church and part of the community are part of it. But it's a place where many of you over the years now have from time to time put up things and said, will you pray for dot, dot, dot. And one of the joys is seeing the number of people who then say, yes, I will, or now I am praying. It goes a long way beyond just liking or the praying sign, yeah? The praying sign costs nothing. Actually, do you know what I found out this week? That's not a praying sign. I, I did, did, you know, did you know that? It's a high five. Did you know that? How long have you known that? Why didn't you tell me? Um, <laughs> I just assumed it was a Christian praying sign. It looks like a praying sign. Yeah, it's not. It's high five. Doubles up. It takes no effort to use that symbol. But once we say, actually, I'm praying for you right now, and you stop what you're doing, or you ensure that the moment you get free, you do begin to pray, what happens is you create a community out of a bunch of individuals. And what happens is you get this sort of network then, this web of support. And please don't underestimate. If you are there going, well, I don't know how, what God's going to do. I don't really understand even the full picture, but I will pray. And even if just at that moment you stop whatever you're doing and go, Lord, you know this person. You know what they're, you know what they're facing. I know what they've said. I offer them back to you. I pray that your perfect will will be done in their lives. I pray that they will have clarity and wisdom. I pray that they will know you better. If you do that, that is powerful. And when you're there on your phone or your iPad or whatever, and um, it feels like it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, it goes well beyond that then. Because the person who's put it up, what they see is, there's someone carrying me. There's someone carrying me. And there are days when you need other people to carry you. So thank you for all of you that pray like that. That use that. When we pray, we want to pray for people who are in our wider families, people who are outside of the church. But one of the things that we do is we pray for those of us in the church. We pray for our own community and we pray regularly and we pray over time. That's why it's important to keep on doing. I want to read two stories with you from Matthew's Gospel. I would like, actually, if uh, we could have, can we have um, a fella to read the first one? And uh, can we have a woman to read the second one? Okay, so I just need someone who's willing to read the first passage. It's not a difficult passage, no difficult names in. It's not a list from <laughs> numbers. Who we got? Who would read? It's Matthew chapter eight, verse five to 13. Laura, Lorna, that's brilliant. Will you do the women's one in a moment, which will be, uh, chapter 15, verse 21 onwards. And I, I just need a bloke. Dave, brilliant. It's Matthew, chapter 5. No, it's not. It's chapter 8, verse 5. You don't need to know much to do this sort of job. Jay, can we have the microphone? Okay, here we go. 
When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking him for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you just read the next? Then verse? Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Very good, thank you. Straightforward story. Let me just highlight what's going on. It's a centurion. Now, centurion, part of the Roman Empire, part of the Roman army, and uh, in some ways, uh, quite a challenging um, figure because this person is the person who has been imposed upon your country by an external empire. And so the centurion would be the one who could say to anybody, I want you to carry my gear for one mile. And Jesus would go, if they do that, offer to go a second mile. That's the sort of power they had. Centurions were there. They were the, the powerful ones who were told by Pilate and the officials to crucify Jesus. And when people were reading Matthew's gospel later, so if Matthew's gospel was written around the AD 70-ish mark, what they realized is that the centurions and the Romans were becoming more and more powerful. And indeed, in time, the Romans would destroy the temple. So this idea of it being a centurion is worthy of just a thought for a moment. A centurion comes. And he says, I have a servant. Or it could be translated, I have a son. Actually, the word is not the usual word for servant. It's the word that could be used of a child or of a son. But I have a servant. I have a son who is sick. Will you come and heal him? And the shock is that Jesus says, I will come. Shall I come? Shall I come and heal him, Jesus says. Will I come to your house? Now for us, that's, we kind of read too quick, but the shock of Jesus going, I'll, I'll come. And everybody else would go, it's like just another way that Jesus would lose reputation. I'll come, I'll come to your house. I'll come and do what you ask. And everybody else is going, don't do what the Romans ask. Resist them. If the centurion comes and goes, would you make sure the next generation of my family live? A good Jewish resistance fighter would go, no. I'd rather they didn't. But I'll come. I'll come to your house. And the centurion says, you don't need to come actually. I recognize the situation here. I'm a man who has people who I have authority over, and I can tell them to do things. I just tell them and they do them. 
You don't need to come, Jesus. I recognize in you. I recognize the situation. You could just tell this sickness to go, and it would go. Jesus says, verse 10, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. (laughs) And again, if you were watching on or listening on, or even if you were one of the disciples, you go, hang on. You mean that Roman, that pagan Roman worshipper has got more faith? Yeah, I've never seen such great faith. It's a shock. Verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. It's a very, in one sense, a simple story. It's a very straightforward story, but it's a story that has a very clear narrative line. I want to read the second story to you. And he was healed at that hour. Last one. Lorna, just wait for the microphone to come and then turn with us to chapter 15 and verse 21. 21 to 28. <clears throat> okay, so Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and cried, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Another very straightforward healing story, deliverance story. But this time when Matthew tells a story, he tells about a woman who he names a Canaanite. And um, again, we might not feel that in the same way, but a Canaanite was a very old-fashioned word at that time to use about people who are not of the people of Israel. They're the pagan worshippers. They're the idol worshippers. They belong to a different, a different uh, group of people. It's almost like when Matthew tells a story about a Canaanite woman, it's like, Everything about you echoes in the Old Testament of these were our enemy people. It's a Canaanite woman. She comes and she said, my daughter is suffering. Will you do something? And just as it was a shock when a centurion would come to Jesus, so it was a shock that a Canaanite woman, a non-Israel woman, a woman from outside would come to Jesus, this Jewish teacher, and say, will you do something? My daughter, what you've got is a centurion and a woman who's so desperate. And then you have a shock. And this passage has been a bit shocking ever since. 
Because Jesus is silent, doesn't respond. And then when he does respond, he says, it's not right, you know, to give, uh, let me read it so I get it right. It's not right to take the children's bread, toss it to the dogs. Now, that is not how you speak about people. It's not right, you know. It's not right to take the, the bread that's designed for someone else and give it away. And the woman said, I recognize the situation. Yes, it is. I don't know. The problem with the Bible is you can't hear it. That's the problem. You can read it. You can't hear it. wonder what tone you think this was all done in. But either way, this woman goes, I know how this works around here. And I'm not taking no for an answer. And actually... To be honest, I know, Jesus, that you may well want to go to the house of Israel first. And I know that you may not want to take the bread, the message, and give it to someone else. I understand that. But even the dogs get something from the table. And you think, this, this doesn't sound like it should be in the Bible. It's rude. But the woman goes, well, the woman goes, I've seen dogs. We, we dog sit for my daughter's dog. And uh, a few months ago, this dog comes and sits when you're eating, looking up. And my daughter said, I don't know why you started doing that. <laughs> and Maggie looked at me and went, I don't know. And then we looked at Dorothy, who looked a little guilty. Because <laughs> this dog, which is not the smartest dog in the world, has realized that there are three adults in this house, and one of them just looks. It's a cocker spaniel, just looks constantly. And I think when we leave the room, Dorothy goes, okay. <laughs> She's not here to defend herself, but I think it's true. I recognize the situation, she said. I recognize what you're doing here, but even dogs eat the crumbs. Even dogs can wait. I, she said, I've seen this happen. I know that actually if you are determined, you get fed. I know that if you don't take no for an answer, something happens. I know that if you wait long enough, something is given to you. I know I'm not going away. I know how this situation works, she said. And Jesus said, woman, you've great faith. Same language. The request is granted and the story ends. Her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, you know, some of you who know me well, I get a lot of pleasure from seeing this sort of pattern. And I know some of you go, uh, <laughs> but just go with me for a moment. Do you not think it's interesting that Matthew 
tells two different stories, but tells them in exactly the same way. Now, I think that's more than coincidental. I think that what Matthew is wanting to do here is tell you two stories about two outsiders in a way that make you go, I've heard this story before. I've heard the pattern. I can see what's going on. Why might you do that? To Matthew's readers, from the beginning of the gospel to the end of the gospel, Matthew wants to say, there's no such thing as outsiders. In Matthew, just think about, I mean, there's lots of ways, but Matthew starts, doesn't he, with a genealogy of uh, where Jesus comes from, which includes outsiders. At the Christmas stories, who does Matthew tell you comes? Outsiders, the magi, as outsiders you could get for outsiders to come to a Jewish family. How's the Matthew's gospel going to end? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so I will send to the whole, wherever you go, to the ends of the earth. Matthew wants his readers to know there's no such thing as outsiders, whether you're Roman or Canaanite. He wants them to know that the faith is in Jesus. Jesus can actually do something here. I think he wants you to know. I want, he wants his readers to know that Jesus has his reasons for the way he reacts. And the reason I say that is kind of another way of saying this. Jesus is not a magician that if you just put the penny in the slot, everything always will be done in the way you think it ought to be done. But Jesus heals. So what about for us? We're reading on. We're different than Matthew's readers, but we're reading on as part of that. As people who are learning how to pray, the first thing I want to say is learn to put your confidence in Jesus, no matter what you think of yourself. Some of you might feel on certain days that you have, this sounds irreverent, you have no credit in the bank with God. That you've fouled up, you've messed up, you're too far away, you're too hopeless as a Christian. What these two stories did was to say, there's no such thing as an outsider. Put your hope and your confidence in Jesus. Secondly, persevere. I think particularly the second story is one of determined prayer, this woman who will not give up. So let me ask you, in the same way as these two people came, not for themselves, but for someone else, who are you praying for? And can you persevere? And perseverance for some people might look like, can you carry on praying for years with hope? Can you carry on praying for years with hope? I, 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 this is a, a dim and distant memory, so I, I, think I'm, I think I'm recalling it well. But there was a bloke called George Muller who was uh, from Bristol, uh, did a lot with orphan children. He was a man of great faith. 
But he had a list of people that he was praying for who weren't Christians, and he was praying for them every day from young years all the way through. And actually, most of them only became Christians years after he died. So he died not knowing that God had answered any of his prayers. Perseverance for most of us in today's instant society is, can we do it for three days on a trot? <laughs> and if God doesn't come through, well, well, the perseverance that says, actually, I'm going to carry these people until my death. Can you persevere? Do you have a plan for praying for these people? Now, sometimes there's a way of doing it that you sort of say, I'll pray for you and I'll pray for you for a period. And then there's other people that you're carrying, you carry them for years. At work, um, when I was working for LICC uh, a couple, few years ago, um, we were challenged um, to pray uh, for, a, for someone who didn't know we were praying for them, if you see what I mean. You, it, was like a, it was like Secret Santa with prayer as a present. Um, <laughs> and uh, you took someone's name. And, and what you made a promise was that you'd promise you'd pray for them for a month every day. Well, I don't know about you, but when you start to pray for someone like that, you, I, and maybe this is just my personality, I need a plan. Although I just, I just burble the same stuff every day and it doesn't feel like. So I was praying, um, well, it was for Anthony, and some of you know Anthony, he's a friend of mine. And I didn't know him very well, but I decided that every day I would pray for him. So I prayed for his work on a Monday. I prayed for his family on a Tuesday. I prayed for his health on a Wednesday. I prayed for his spiritual life on a Thursday. I prayed for his happiness, because he wasn't very happy at that time, on a Friday. And that just meant that every day I knew what I was praying for. And Saturday and Sunday he was on his own. Every, every day. Every day. Sink or swim on Saturdays. But for me, that really helped. And I was able to persevere with that for a month. And it was interesting to talk to him at the end to see what was different for him. Persevere but plan. And actually just do it. Pray. What my pattern now is, on a monthly basis, I've got a very, I've got multiple notebooks, but one of my notebooks just, you know, February, these are the people I'm praying for. This is why. And on the other sheet of paper is blank. And I start to write on that when I see what I think God might be doing. I just, I just need a plan to do it. And then I need to do it. And then because I'm desperately trying to get another P. <laughs> Perceive, but it should really be just watch. <laughs> Perceive what God's doing. I think this idea of prayer, it can, on the one hand, can sound like duty. But on the other, it can become quite exciting because you find yourself wrapped into God's story for other people. The centurion's servant and the Canaanite's daughter, we are not told, had any faith for themselves. But two other people did. The servant and the daughter, 
We're not even told that Jesus met them. Both cases, it's just a word. But the people who came, they believed. And it's you. It's you. And you're praying for people, some of whom have faith and some of them don't have faith. But it's, I think in the stories, it's kind of like this thing of a recommitment for one another. Most of the people, I suspect, most of the people that you're praying for most often are not in the room right now. I suspect that's true. And that's brilliant. But you know that I keep on saying it, that the task of building church is how do you take a bunch of individuals and create community? And one of the best ways you create community is you say we're a praying community for one another. And so I'm going to invite you to do something. Where you are, with the people you're with, in twos and maybe threes, but no more than that. Will you talk to one another for a moment right now about the joy and the challenge? And will you commit to pray for that person at least every day this week? Now, you're going to have to, for some of you, you're going to be back in that moment where you don't want to be praying, dear Lord, I pray for my sister that I met on Sunday. You need the name. <laughs> so don't be embarrassed if you go, I've forgotten your name, I'm sorry. Ask for the name. And some of you, as I said at the beginning of the service, some of you carry things that actually are too heavy for you to say out loud. You don't need to go into all the great detail. Some of you might be just going, it's a tough time and I just need wisdom at work. I just need wisdom in family. I just need wisdom in relationships or I need peace or whatever it is. You don't need to go into great detail. You don't need to tell the story in great detail. But you just need to give enough of a hint to someone who's going to carry you for a week to say, this is what I want you to do. And some of you, one thing will happen at this point, some of your minds will go completely blank. <laughs> All right? And that's okay, just get the other person speaking first. And some of you will go, do you know what? Life's really good at the moment. Don't, you don't have to find a problem. All right? But on the other hand, you might be wanting to pray, God, will you stir me up a bit more? Because it's just, I'm drifting. And it's okay to say that. I'll give you two, three minutes to do this. In twos and threes, where you are. How can I pray for you? Who are you? How can I pray for you? And then in a moment, how can we do that? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's what happens next. For some of you, the, the danger is you will walk out of church and you will forget you've had this conversation. So, I'm going to ask you to do something if you'd be willing to do this. If you've got a phone that has a camera,
<laughs> just take a picture of the person you've just been seeking to. Seriously, just take a picture of them. Okay, I'll come with that. For some of you, put it in your calendar. But actually, for some of you, having a face will help. You've written it down. That's okay. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> I don't need a queue of you at the end of going, I don't agree with this photograph business. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not about the photograph. It's not about the calendar. It's about the memory. It's about memory. It's about a commitment to say we are the people of God and we carry one another. It's a commitment that says we don't take this stuff sort of lightly. That on the one hand it sounds light, but it's not light. Because ultimately we know that only the Lord can do the stuff that we are really struggling to do. And I don't want us to be a church where we talk about prayer but don't do it. I don't know about, for some of you who are readers, if you're like me, you have more books about prayer on your shelves because you think another book will sort it. And you know it doesn't. Just makes you feel a bit more guilty. <laughs> In other words, we can talk about it all we like, but actually it's about the doing of it. We are the people of God. And we connect with one another and we carry one another. And the best way we carry one another is to the Lord. And it's a determined approach. So pray for one another this week. And next week, ask, how's it been? And if it's been a lot worse, promise you'll never pray for them again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>